Welcome to the Apologia Podcast, the audio-only archive of the Apologia YouTube channel. Note that some content was designed to go with visuals, but the imagination can be a powerful thing. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider giving it a 5-star rating on the podcast app you're using now to help us reach more people. Or, since this endeavor is ad-free, consider going a step further and supporting us for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash apologia. But for now, let's get to the episode, part of the Creation Today claim series, recorded August 11, 2017, titled, How Can New Stars Be Forming When God Already Made Them? For years then, we haven't even copyrighted our material. We allow people to copy it, to give it away. That's what we want. Talking about star formation, this is the one thing that I would harp on over and over and over if I was an evolutionist and say, you creationists are idiots. Look at all this evidence. Sounds like good advice, Eric. Let's talk about star formation. I love you more than the sun and the stars that I taught how to shine. You are mine and you Welcome shine. to Apologia, where a former Christian takes a look at the claims of Christians. People will say, well, you know, we've looked through telescopes and things and you can see stars forming out there. We got a question here from Cheryl. Cheryl said, I heard that no one has ever discovered a star being born, but this link points to a video showing stars being born, Paul. So what do you have to say to that then? This is where creationism is going down, guys. We're going yeah. down fast. Wow. What's so important about star formation that it has a potential, even sarcastically, to bring down the young earth creation worldview. If you read the Bible, it tells us that the stars were formed in the beginning on day four. Oh, I get it. Since Eric believes that the Bible says that stars were formed in the 24 hours on day four of creation week, then if new stars were forming today, that would definitely contradict his interpretation. Gotcha. Eric then goes on an extended demonstration of his ability to hit the divide button on a calculator. Here are the highlights. Before the show, David and I sat down and did a couple calculations to see how fast stars would have to form. Wow. Yeah. David, do you remember? Too many numbers. <laughs> Too many <laughs> numbers. But you're going to run it down for us. Check really this quickly. out. You take 76 trillion divided by 13.4 billion years. That means that you have 5 trillion, 232 billion, 880 million, 597,015 stars forming every single year. Stars forming every single day. Stars forming an hour. Stars forming in a minute. Or 165,648 stars forming every single second for 13.4 billion years straight. That's a lot. That rabbit trail is entirely irrelevant because you already acknowledge that scientists say they do see stars forming regularly. Well, a lot of people tell us that, you know, you can see that stars form regularly. And they'll even point to different uh, nebula and they'll say, oh, we've seen stars form in these nebula. Perhaps this would be a good time to hear how scientists explain star formation. Stars start out in giant clouds of dust called nebula. Gravity collects the star in the first place, then wants to crush it. Gravity never gives up. And gravity forces the dust to bunch together. As more and more dust bunches up, gravity gets stronger, and it starts to get hot and becomes a protostar. Once the center gets hot enough, nuclear fusion will begin, and the young star is born. How long does it take to, to make those stars, do you think, Paul, in the star factory? Uh, I, I would think it's I would think they're quite fast. Well, in order to answer that question, I had to go elsewhere. I had to look in a high school uh, physics textbook. You have the entire internet. You have universities. You have the entirety of primary source peer-reviewed scientific research at your fingertips. And you went to a high school physics textbook? What is it with creationists and grade school textbooks? How long does it take to form a star would be the question. That's the question. And the high school uh, textbook came up with an answer that it could be anywhere between about 500,000 years and a couple of billion years. Okay. 
Now, in our relationship of time, in our finite little world here, they would tell us that the stars take millions of years to, to completely form, and that's something that we could never even see if we tried. This is something yeah. that would take millions of years to actually be able to document. So you're never going to see that happening. So when it says they witnessed it happen? Well, the shortest it could be, according to that textbook, was 500,000 years. This is a tricky one. Human lifespan is less than 100 years, but we want to learn about a process we suspect may take a minimum of 5,000 times longer than our lifespan. For the sake of illustration, let's consider two mayflies who have a lifespan of only 24 hours. They've managed to do their reproduction activities in the morning, so with their remaining 12 hours to kill, they fly high and see human houses all around them. One mayfly says, I believe all these houses appeared all at once last Thursday. The other mayfly says, I suspect that the houses were all built at different times, and that there are, even now, new houses being built today and in the future. Don't be ridiculous, scoffed the first. No mayfly has ever seen a house being built. Um, so have they been witnessing this for 500,000 years? Yeah, I think no. not. Let's go back to our two mayflies. Still trapped in a universe where they will simply never live long enough to witness a single house being built from beginning to end. But the second mayfly's idea was that there are many houses being built all the time. If that were true, what could the mayflies observe in their single day lives? Well, they might be able to observe different houses in different stages of construction. That's not as good as sitting and watching one house being built beginning to end, but it would be consistent with the idea, and even inconsistent with the idea that all the houses popped up at exactly the same time. So the mayflies observe an empty lot. An empty lot is not the house, says the first. They observe a basement-shaped hole in the ground. That's just a hole in the ground. That one's just sticks. That one's a house without windows. And so on. So what are they actually seeing? They are seeing a picture which they are interpreting as being a snapshot of that 500,000 year process. In other words, they've got a theory which says this process happens. We expect to see these stars forming in these clouds of dust because this fits with our theory. Uh, and because it fits with our theory, therefore we will interpret this picture in that way. They then offer that picture, which they have interpreted because of their theory, and they offer the picture as evidence. I hope you followed that. Basically, it's a circular argument. No, no. No, it's not. If examining evidence leads the police to a conclusion that a suspect should be arrested, it's not circular to present that evidence to support this conclusion in court. But that's not even the case here. The nebular hypothesis, which is the foundation for the solar nebular model, was first developed in 1755 by German philosopher Immanuel Kant, who just happened to be an outspoken self-professed Christian, so hatred of God was likely not his motive in doing so. This was decades before the invention of practical photography, so it's impossible that the idea was derived from photographs, as Mr. Taylor suggests here. Like any good scientific hypothesis, the nebular hypothesis made predictions of what future discoveries would look like if the hypothesis is true. In the 260 years since then, Astronomical observations have been made that were predicted by the model, and are thereby evidence lending support to the hypothesis. The photo Eric and Paul are describing was taken in 2010. The fact that it is consistent with the hypothesis doesn't make it circular. This 2010 photo, and even the ability to view the portion of space it records, was clearly not available in 1755. The ability to predict future data is the sole most important criteria for the evaluation of any scientific hypothesis. That you don't understand this or that you misrepresent this is disturbing. And it can't be offered as evidence if you've got an alternative explanation. What? You're telling me that all evidence for every idea becomes invalid the second that someone is creative enough to come up with another explanation? If I loudly proclaim that these clouds in the cosmos are really the farts of space dragons and diamonds that hide the smell, 
then all photos of nebula become scientifically useless? Our alternative explanation is that God made a cloud of gas with uh, objects that shine within it. Yes. Saying God did it is no more relevant than my idea about space dragon farts. Immanuel Kant, who came up with the original idea, was trying to explain how God did it. Who did it does not in any way answer the question of how it was done. They literally teach that these gas clouds condense into stars. That's right. Which goes against Boyle's law, but hey, who cares? They're scientists making up their own theories. We can make up whatever we want, as long as evolution is true. Whoa, whoa, hold your horses there, Cowboy Eric. You can't just ride up, poison the well, and leave like nothing happened. If there's a law of physics that disproves star formation, why in the world are you wasting your time stomping your feet about photos? This sounded worth investigation, so I searched high and low for more about this Boyle's Law claim in relation to star formation. And wouldn't you know, the only reference to it anywhere is from Eric's father, Kent Hovind. If dust tries to get together, as it increases in density, it increases the temperature, which increases the movement, and it drives it back away. It's called Boyle's Gas Laws. You cannot compress dust into um, solid matter without creating a real serious physical science problem of overcoming the gas laws. The pressure increases, the temperature increases, which drives them out again. It's not going to happen. It's safe to say Eric's source for this is listening to his dad. But still, what is Boyle's Law? You remember the ideal gas law? It's a combination of three related laws that were discovered by a variety of scientists. Let's review real quick. Boyle's Law was first published by Robert Boyle in 1660, but it was actually discovered by two of his contemporaries, Richard Townley and Henry Power. It says that the product of the pressure and the volume of a gas is always constant as long as the temperature remains the same. Boyle's Law requires a closed system where the amount of gas is constant, like in my balloon. This is all pretty cool, but remember that it's called the ideal gas law for a reason. It only works perfectly when gases behave ideally, with the particles not taking up too much space and not being attracted to each other. Well, I already see problems here. This law applies only to isolated systems, which of course space is not. Boyle's law is part of what is known as the ideal gas law because it rarely applies in real world conditions, only partially because it in no way takes into account mass or gravity. And gravity is the most important factor in star formation. RNA World 2012 made a video specifically about this claim. Unfortunately for creationists, interstellar gas clouds are not isolated systems. The heat generated by gravitational contraction is radiated away into space, because all objects above absolute zero emit thermal radiation. In fact, the heat is radiated away at the same rate that it is generated by gravitational contraction, so the temperature of the cloud doesn't even rise as it contracts. With no extra pressure coming from heat, the gravitational force remains much stronger than the gas pressure force, and the cloud essentially collapses at freefall speed. The combination of self-gravity and radiative cooling make the transformation of an interstellar gas cloud into a star inevitable. If you want to see the whole thing, check out the link in the description. But for now, we've already spent far more time on this than Eric did. Unless they could sit and observe this for 500,000 years, they cannot know that it is in the process of developing into a true star. In a way, this is correct. But in another way... The orbit of Pluto around the Sun is 248 years. Pluto was discovered in 1930. By Mr. Taylor's reasoning, we can't actually know that Pluto is orbiting until the year 2178. Or perhaps no one can ever know, because it is unlikely anyone born in 1930 will live to see their 248th birthday. The nebular model has been making accurate predictions, validated repeatedly by continuous astrological observations for hundreds of years. Today's episode was a little different because rather than a creationist claim, I was looking at a creationist denial. If you're going to a priori reject any learning that would take longer than a single lifetime to obtain, then you will be rejecting giant swaths of science and technology in every field. You're right. It comes down to a presupposition. What do we believe ahead of time yes. before we even approach the evidence? Oh, right. Presupposition. No, 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 I can't. <laughs>
We barely scratched the surface of stellar formation, so I'd encourage you to investigate further if this discussion has piqued your interest. But in the meantime, if you'd like to be notified when there are new Apologia videos, please tap the subscribe button. And find me on Twitter or Facebook as Apologia Zero, where I share between video news and thoughts. As always, thanks for watching. Later.